Hey guys, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and it is that time once again for Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com, and you can find this particular podcast in a bunch of places. So definitely through the Anchor app, through iTunes, Google Play, and now they have Google Podcasts. Uh, We got Stitcher and a gazillion more. Anchor is always telling me they have another podcast that this is up on. So cool. So anywhere you're listening to podcasts, you probably can find this podcast. So as I said, I do a weekly podcast recapping the latest TV and film that I've caught during the week. We're in our summer session, y'all. It slows down a little bit. Not as much new shows are out or running that long for that point. But that's great. Cool. We all need breaks. So this particular week is going to be pretty short. So uh, a lot of shows are on hiatus. I'm going to be talking about Claws because it's my favorite show ever. Uh, I went in depth on it on another podcast, the People of Culture podcast I do with my friend Shay Sherry. So you can listen to that full review over there. It's just going to be highlights when I'm talking about Claws. I'm going to go in on the Expanse finale. We got a two episode finale for the Expanse. I'm going to talk about humans. I'm going to talk about Cloak and Dagger and My Hero Academia and the questions I have with My Hero Academia. But I will get into that. I also want to put out this disclaimer. This podcast is filled with spoilers. Spoilers, 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 spoilers off the bat. So if you haven't seen any of the things I'm talking about, Take a break, catch up, come on back, join me for this discussion. I'd love to hear what you guys got to say. And through Anchor, you guys can actually leave me a voice message. So if you guys listen to this and you're listening to it through Anchor, you can then write that in there. Click on that little message button towards the bottom and leave me a message on your thoughts of whatever of everything that's going down. Y'all know? Things and the stuff and the like. You can also hit me up at curvygeekyfangirl at gmail.com to send me emails about what you're also thinking about these particular shows. But we're going to be jumping right into it right after this. All right, so we're going to be jumping into The Expanse first. And that finale was amazing. So The Expanse has done a great job, episode after episode, of giving us a nearly complete story while still leaving us wanting more for the overarching stories that are continuing throughout the series. So we get like these like minute detail and uh, slash adventures slash to do's, I guess, that the teams have to complete. And then we get the, you know, how it relates to the fuller arc of the story. So the fuller arc of the expanse has been that the belt, our belters, belters, earthers, and Martians are constantly at odds with each other consistently. We've got Martians, pretty much declaring their independence from Earth. We've got Earth still trying to be like, no, we control all of y'all. And the Belters just trying to get a seat at the table. Like the Belters are just like, we're continually being disregarded and we're not even seen as like as full-fledged participants in all of this stuff that's going down. So we need to show either through aggressiveness or what, that we also have a place at this table. So that's been the overarching story. And in the meanwhile, we've also learned about the protomolecule and how it's being weaponized and used by people who have no idea what it is to their detriment. We've got um, lots of uprisings happening, a lot of civil uprisings happening between Belters themselves and what they feel should be the overall viewpoint of what Belters should have in regards to Earthers 
and Martians. We're also seeing a lot of elitism when it comes to Earthers and Martians between the two factions themselves. Like, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, social conflict that's happening with the groups, which is always interesting and crazy, and just enriches the story even more. So in these, in the finale, we got. The culmination of all of that, the protomolecule, the three different factions, and what that means for the future of everybody. Uh, we picked up right away where we left off in the previous episode. So we've got Melba after her attack on Naomi, uh, AKA Clarissa Mao. She's discovered, they've taken her down. I love that the Rev is the reason she is taken down in the first place, Reverend Anna. She makes sure to follow Melba, AKA Clarissa. And totally holds her accountable for everything that she's done, especially to her friend. Um, and I, you know what? I don't even remember the friend's name. Tilda, Tilly, Millie, something. It doesn't matter. Because all that matter, all she kind of was planted there for was like, this is something that was close to the Reverend. And this is going to tie the Reverend into the rest of the story that's going on moving forward. That's really all that was. So we see her really really guilting the hell out of Clarissa like I gotta give the Reverend a shout out for that I mean she's not even for manipulation she's very much set up as a character who believes in honesty and faith like she's bound to faith uh it you know regardless of whether or not that is to her particular uh divination of that faith or anybody else's but she she holds she tries to see the value and holds the value of people uh, and hopes that everybody else does too. And we clearly see that she is at odds with Clarissa because Clarissa does not value people at all. She is dead set on trying to get Holden. That scene where Clarissa was you know, taken to the jail cell and realizes Holden is also in the jail cell. <laughs> not the same one, but they're in the same area. And she starts her maniacal laugh. Hold what? It was just, it was perfect. It was perfect. She's been after this dude. She's been trying her hardest to come after this dude. And all of that effort, while at first she thinks didn't pay off at all, ends up actually paying off. So that was hysterical. Uh, the only thing that I took away from the Clarissa Anna arc that I didn't quite like, that was that I didn't think was the greatest, was how quickly Clarissa decides that Holden is a good guy. Like she kind of comes to this I guess epiphany that Holden isn't the monster she's made him out to be like it feels like in seconds like they're in the jail cell she's dead set about killing him she gets all of this uh I guess scolding from from Anna about just how messy she is about trying to do all this stuff and then all of a sudden she's like nah I need to help him so I mean I'm glad it worked out I'm glad that she was able to provide the assistance she did when she did because towards the end of that, of the second episode, we see that that was required. But the turnaround was mad fast. Granted, this is a limited series, and for all intents and purposes, they were already working on. I'm, I'm sure they were working on budget constrictions as it is. Like this is not a long series, so I understand why they had to shorten it. But it felt really rushed that this turnover happened. Uh, we also got another standout point for me, which was the Amos and Anna relationship. I love that Amos continuously makes friends with, like seeks out these friendships with people who have strong, I, I want to say good guy character. Like before 
the Rev, even before Prax, it was Naomi. And Naomi was like this beacon of like honesty and integrity for him. And then when she kind of faltered in that role, he moved on to Prax and Prax became this beacon of honesty and integrity for him. And, um, you know, Prax faltered here and there and there were moments where he was about to lose it, but Amos was there to, you know, to keep that protected. But, you know, with Prax gone and Naomi at the time was not even a part of the crew anymore, you know, he was kind of like, you know, just kind of missing, I guess, having something like that. And then here comes Rev. He comes across Anna after she saves Naomi from Clarissa. And he, at first, it kind of seems like he's fascinated with this idealistic uh, perspective that she gives him for a lot of different things. And he's just kind of like, huh interesting he doesn't necessarily see it as naive but he definitely sees it as like someone who has also seen a lot of shit in their time but continuously is optimistic about it so he's like okay friendship it is so they become like really fast friends and that didn't feel rushed it felt like Amos honestly being intrigued by this person and Anna being the person that she is she's not going to shrug anybody off and then this relationship kind of forming so that was really nice um, even down to their whole conversation about the gun. So there's a whole point where a plan has come into action and the, the Rossinati crew has to act as they always do uh, because they're still in the ring. So there's still a flotilla that's in the ring. We've got Martians, we've got Earthers, we've got Belters all in the ring because they all wanted to be the first one to explore this insanity, even though it's been killing people left and right. And of course, it wasn't smooth. Uh, it, like I said, it's been killing people left and right. It keeps dropping... Uh, it's speed requirements like before it acts out and thinks that whoever it is that's in their ring is an enemy and in the process of all of that it's, they're losing a lot of lives a lot of people are dying because of all of their you know all, honestly all of their impulsive quickness to jump into this ring without discovering or even realizing what could work in there and what couldn't so now they're all hurt and they're not only physically but emotionally hurt like you know the, these plans of ours to be the first or to be the grandest are now being diminished because we're dying we're dying quickly and uh they realize that like you know what's happening in the ring could easily be happening elsewhere in this vast universe that we're in and um the new captain of the belter side i want to say his name you know what i specifically got all the cast members up so that i would be ready for this and I'm still not ready. So anyway, the new captain has taken over because there's been, there was a whole situation where uh, people had to make decisions and they were trapped in things and like a lot, of, a lot of stuff was going down. So the new belter captain, who was an ex-pirate, has decided that the best thing they can do is to destroy the ring entirely, even if it means destroying themselves. And he's very much like stuck on this idea of it being like this grand gesture gesture to humanity that they sacrifice themselves to save the greater good like he gets stuck on this idea he wants he's like lusting after this death this glorious death of his that he probably feels is a long time coming because i mean he, we've gotten little stories here and there about this particular guy who has lived through things that he didn't think he was going to live through at all and he's seen the death of his ch child potentially children like he's he's kind of ready to go he's just ready to go so this happens they see they have limited options he thinks he has to act aggressively against it and they decide on it they decide that this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna go for it full throttle so like okay here we go 
he manages to get everybody else on board. He manages to talk the Martian colonel, whoever the lead person is for the Martian side, also into agreeing with him. And then eventually he manages to rope around the Earther side as well. And so now they're like gung-ho on like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to attack the ring and throw everything we've got at it and then just let the pieces fall where they may. So Holden crew get that information. They find out what's going on. They know it's a terrible plan. (laughs) They know it's a terrible plan. And so they get their own plan into action. Holden has the benefit of having insight into the ring after completing whatever that connection thing was that he had to complete. And so in the midst of being completely overwhelmed with all the information he got, he also realizes that they have a better option where everybody can live if they don't attack the ring to get everything out of it. So it's the whole crew again working together. So we've got half of them off trying to get the message out to everybody in the flotilla that this is what's happening. This is what the superiors have planned, but this is what we're actually going to do. And then we've got the other half, which is just primarily Holden and Naomi and uh, some other people's trying to literally figure out a way to shut down the the particular ship that they're on because they're on the Belter slash Mormon craft and they know they're never going to get the okay from, from the new captain who's taken over. So they make, take it upon themselves. Of course, it gets dicey. It gets, it gets a little crazy, but ultimately they come out victorious and we see the aftermath of all of that. Like, I'm interested to see if we're going to see the, cons- the consequences of the fallout from all of that because you've got three superiors who decided that everybody's going to die. We're all just going to die. So see if we can even destroy this thing without any kind of guarantee that it would destroy the thing or any kind of guarantee that this, this would la- make an impact of any kind. And then you've got Holden who figured out a non-lethal way to do it that only did it work and everybody's living, but it's also opened up all of these new entry points. So we find out what the protomolecule is. It is some kind of like, almost like a freeway. It's basically a way to travel through different spaces to explore different areas. That's pretty much it. Um, so, also weird, and that's how that's that's how it ended. After they after they save everything, you see all of these little windows kind of open up, uh, just you know, allowing you to explore different spaces, different different areas. And Holden apparently nails it on the head when he says we're in the gold rush of exploration when it comes to space, because now there's all these new ways to go and just venture across the galaxy and see where you land. Mad dangerous, of course. It's the expanse. There's never not going to be a consequence, but. But now that's what's going on. We got to see the return of Miller come back when him and Holden were talking. Holden for sure looks like a crazy person talking to himself. But we know as the viewers that he's talking to some form of Miller, whether it's a memory of the protomolecule has created to be Miller, or if this is actually an aspect of Miller that's managed to survive being completely submerged into the protomolecule. So either way, it was nice to see him back. Um, Naomi is back with the crew of the Rasanati. She is full-fledged and on there. Uh, like I said, Cla- the Clarissa Mal, aka Melba, made a complete turn. And now she's actually like re- regretful for the action she's taken to come after Holden. And she actually ha- tried to help out Holden. She tried to help shut down the Mormon slash Belter ship that they were on. Uh, and took some shots and I thought she was gonna die, but she didn't, she managed to survive. And you actually see her and Anna have like a moment. Anna straight up told her like, 
I don't even see you as a person right now. Like this, that was the whole thing. And now you see Anna kind of coming around because she did do this heroic act to try to help. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where the rest of this goes. I love that Bobby came back. Bobby was back in full force. Uh, we knew she was back because she came back in the, I want to say the episode prior to that as part of the Martian crew to go and find out what's going on with the ring, but also to capture the Rossinati crew because that whole video had gone out about Holden and crew being glad they had destroyed something. Something happened down the way. Uh, but Bobby managed to get in there. And of course, Bobby has history with the Rossinati crew. So uh, you see her and her Martian comrades coming down. They were supposed to go and take them out from sending the message. This was when all the superiors had decided everybody has to die. And of course, they're Martians. They didn't ask any questions. They're not like, why is it that we have to stop this message in particular? So Bobby's going in with half information, but she also knows the Rossinati crew. Like she knows they're not gonna just do something to be destructive. There's a reason behind what they're doing. She makes her way down there. She manages to attempt to take control of the situation and gets a little bit more information from Alex when Alex kind of comes out from hiding. And then of course everything goes to shit. You've got the other Martians who are still on a vendetta to get Holden. They still blame him for the loss of their lieutenant. They're also elitist bitches. So they're like, oh, I can't believe we have to work with these belters. And they're, they're just unhappy in general, looking for a reason to shoot. So the fighting starts. Of course, Bobby comes out on top because she's Bobby. Uh, but not without some some issues. So she gets shot and there's a whole scary part of like, will she, won't she? We knew she was. I mean, it was it was a tempered stake, but it was a stake nonetheless. And um, and that, yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, basically after all of that, we found out the proto molecule is literally a highway across the galaxy. Uh, it was built by beings that no longer exist. They got wiped out by another being that we don't know about. The only person who knows all of this is Holden. And they've left the door wide open for everybody to explore these new spaces that have opened up. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's pretty much it. So we also know that Amazon has picked up uh, The Expanse after Sci-Fi did their cancellation. So season four is gonna be started on Amazon. I'm really hoping it's going to be a binge. They're gonna drop all the episodes at one time. I really hope they don't do an episode per week situation. So. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But that's pretty much it for The Expanse. So I'm going to be moving on into my next show over here, uh, Humans. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to talk about Claws real quick, and then I will jump into Humans right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics. That's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, so real quick, I'm going to do some highlights on Claws in our latest episode, our last Sunday's. Last Sunday's episode. So I went into deeper discussion with Shay Cherie over at the POC podcast. If you want to take a listen there, it's going to go into a lot more detail. But basically, I just want to talk about the highlights of the latest episode of Claws. 
Uh, and for me, that was any of the interactions between Jen and Bryce, uh, just, the, just the stuff that they're going through and trying to figure out. And also, I wanted to talk about Zlata's power plan here. Like, this, this girl knows a lot. Like, she comes across as this really silly, I don't want to say dismissive, because she's shown that you should not dismiss her in any way. But she's a little sociopathic, if you, if you ask me. She knows how to read people. She knows how to manipulate them. She prides herself on having like a friendship of sorts, uh, especially when it comes to Desna. And I mean, I mean, she's getting results. She's definitely getting the results she wants. I mean, she's been in constant conflict with Uncle Daddy. And this last episode shows that she is the one coming out on top. She made him lick her boot. And I feel like we as the audience felt that shift in power finally, finally go, finally swap. Like, I mean... I even want to say Uncle Daddy might have liked it a little bit because he finally says her name correctly. I think he's still bitter that he's not the one in power. But I think she's starting to like switch him a little bit, like get get him to view her in a different way. So I definitely loved all that. I loved that she had uh, Desna bring over Dr. Gregory so that she could meet him. I am really positive, like uh, I want to say good... 90% positive that she knows who Dr. Gregory really is. And that is that he is the lead of a Haitian mafia group. So, you know, the leader. So I'm pretty sure she's aware of this, but who knows? Who knows with the show? She might've just been all up in Desna's business because she wants to be all up in Desna's business. Who knows? Um, but, de- but definitely the Bryce and Jen stuff, like they've got really, they got even deeper into the Bryce and Jen stuff. Bryce and Jen, for like the first two seasons, had been, wait, are we in the second? No, we're in the second season. This isn't the third. I'm thinking it's been three. This is second. So in the first season, Jen and Bryce were like the committed couple. They were the stable ones, the reasonable ones. They had been together for quite some time and knew what worked and what didn't and had managed to keep their family together. And that, of course, got all shaken up. Uh, shook up by the ridiculous events of the first season, which resulted in Bryce turning back to drugs and Jen having a full out affair, having a full affair. So clearly there was a communication breakdown. Clearly, you know, they're not seeing things on the same page of, you know, of what they need to see. And there's a lot of betrayals that happened. And in this latest episode, they went in to discuss that. Like like I said in the earlier podcast, if you guys listened to the earlier ones, I talked about how they were treating Jen's uh, infidelity as way, way worse than Bryce's return to drugs. And this episode, at least for me, clarified why that was, why why they viewed it that way. And it was, it was because... Of, of the secret keeping, Bryce getting back on drugs. Granted, he didn't go and tell her he was back on drugs. She full on caught him in the act. But even at that point, she was still in a full affair with Hank and he didn't know anything about it. And he found out when, she, well, she told, she straight up tells him, tells him after their daughter gets kidnapped that she's been having the affair. And it's, it's just way worse. It rocks him, it rocks him. And they never moved past that point. They never moved past that revelation into any kind of forgiveness whatsoever. So the girls at the salon have a full, like basically kidnapping of Bryce and they get him to talk. And I love that they set it up like it was a debate. Like it, like, like it was a political debate and Polly's overseeing everything and she's getting everybody a few seconds to get everything done. 
And we see where Bryce, Bryce's head is really at when it comes to all of this. Like, he knew about the affair, and but then he gets, like, the full details rubbed in his face by Zlata, who uses it as another power move. She finds a video Jen did with Hank. Uh, but, she, but we also find out Jen is still, like, in a friendship with Hank. Like, she's still talking to him, which is not great. And I love that Desna is the friend that points out to her, like, girl, yes, you guys both fucked up. But this is what this is the consequences of that. You both fucked up. You were in a full affair, girl. He, he's gonna need time to try and rebound from that if he even can. But you got us in the meanwhile, kind of thing. So I really like that. I really like that she plaintively pointed all of that out. Of course, poor Jen is still trying to deal with all of that, and she deals with it the way she knows how to deal with that. She gets back into drinking. She tries to loophole herself out of it, though. She's like, well, literally, I didn't, I didn't drink anything, per se. What she does is she uses a cotton or a tampon to get drunk. But it's real evident, and it's real fast. We also had a moment there with Rola and Dr. Gregory. And again, I don't know why I'm rooting for Rola and Desna to get back together. They weren't a healthy couple in any capacity. But damn it if I'm not rooting for them to get back together. Rola has met, at least in these two seasons so far, has proven to show that he really cares about Desna and he really is looking out for her well-being. Like he has a whole moment with Dr. Gregory because he knows Dr. Gregory is running the Haitian mafia. He knows Desna doesn't know. And he's like, you hurt her, I'm gonna hurt you kind of situation. And Dr. Gregory's just like, I don't even know why you're trying to talk to me. But the effort was there. <laughs> the effort was there. And I'm, I'm hoping they figure something out I don't see a happy ending ever happening between Desna and Rola. I don't see her getting the normal, the normalness that she wants. But maybe at the end of all of this, she doesn't want normal. So we'll see. We'll see. But it was a nice little moment that that was happening there. I'm interested to see what's going on. The previews for next week show her potentially engaged and or about to get married to Dr. Gregory. But she still doesn't know what's going on. So I'm excited to see what's going to go on with that. And I'm going to move into humans with that being said. So this latest episode of humans, uh, episode four was interesting. We had Niska finally finding the terrorist who blew up the bar that hurt her girlfriend. We had Mia trying to figure out how to live life in this ridiculously aggressive and chaotic place that she's in now. Now that she's trying to rent an apartment with a bunch of humans around her. Uh, we saw the return of Ed, the same guy who tried to sell Mia out. Uh, who she actually like really liked. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. Uh, we also see Max and Agnes kind of come to a head. And we also see Laura trying her best to figure out a middle ground for everything that's going on. So I'm going to start with Mia because it impacted me the most. So Mia had a previous romantic relationship with Ed. So uh, we know that Mia and her family have been sentient for some time. And Ed knows it now, too. But at the time, Ed had, I guess, purchased her to help with the restaurant. But then she lets Ed know that she's sentient. And a romance kind of ensues. But Ed is also dealing with figuring out how to pay these bills for his mom. His mom is in a home. Uh, she's dealing with, I want to say, dementia or Alzheimer's, something that is affecting her memory and uh, the cost for this care is, is skyrocketing and he's, he doesn't know what to do short of selling the restaurant, but the restaurant is barely making a profit as is. And uh, his friend kind of talks him into 
trading Mia in, trading her in basically either as a full bot, like resell her or to trade her in for parts and make money off of that. And he does. He figures out how to turn her off. He figures out how to get a buyer. And it's like, of course, it's like nail biting at the, the, it gets very close to the purchaser agreeing and the meeting with the purchaser before Mia figures out a way to get out of there. But she's betrayed. She's betrayed by Ed. And it's her to her. It's left her with baggage. So now that she's living in this apartment, trying to prove a point that synthetics and humans can live in the same space, I was really surprised that when things were getting really hairy, like you see her leave her apartment to go do something and the crowd just comes at her and they are pushing her and shoving her. She falls to the ground. She reaches her hand out uh, looking for somebody to help her and she gets Ed. Ed reaches his hand back and helps her up and it just looks like, huh, she reacted the way I wanted her to react. She punched him the fuck out. Like once they get back into the apartment and everything, she cold clocks him. He deserved, he deserved it. But then they also get into the root of what was going on. Ed apologizes, mom's is gone. She's, she has passed on. And they have a little, a little reunion moment. They sleep together. She gets some human contact that maybe she wanted as part of her closure. But he basically offers her uh, an escape. He's like, listen, you don't need to stay here. They are going to kill you. You should come back with me. We can live by the beach. I know you love the water. I still have my restaurant out there. She's like, I don't think I can trust you. He's like, fair. You don't have to live with me. I have another space for you if you need it. But she tells him ultimately she can't go anywhere. She can't leave. What she's doing is too important. And she's really hoping that this is going to set a precedent, a safer precedent for any of the scents coming after her, like in the future. So he's like, I mean, he understands, but he's disappointed. And who knew Ed was coming back? So we got that nice little moment with Mia. Niska's storyline got a lot more interesting. I was really excited to see her flip the tables on this terrorist guy. So she meets the synth that set up the terrorism plot to, to bomb this bar. He is a purist. He's like, you know, any human sympathy, him, any human sympathies means you are weak and you're not for the cause. And he's given her the speech. It's also really weird to hear these types of conversation with no emotional passion, passion behind them. They're very plaintive. And when he's explaining, you know, his reading behind anything, it's very logical. It's really scary. Maybe that is a purposeful. Maybe that's to add even more scariness to it because what he's saying makes sense, even though we know morally it's wrong. Crazy. So um, supposedly he's got Niska in like a hold. He's like, I've managed to freeze yourself, you know, freeze your body, and I'm going to frame you for the death of another place I'm trying to hit. Bam. And of course, Niska being Niska, she's a special, her and her siblings are special synths. Of course, his tactics do not work. She manages to get free and kill him. And again, the way she goes after him, and you know it's a heightened moment because she's about to put a soldering iron through his jaw. He, he's not showing any emotion still. He's still not showing any emotion. There's no heightened anxiety, nothing. He's still just plaintively talking to her as she's inching this, you know, this soldering iron into his face. And just, and he also is like, we're not afraid to die. So do what you got to do kind of situation. And she does. And when she goes back to Astrid, the girlfriend who got her in the bar, Astrid is like, you want a cookie? Like the whole, I told you not to go after this person going after this basically saying going after this terrorist doesn't do anything to help the bigger issues, to help the bigger problems. 
And now you've taken yet another life. So do you feel better about it? And you see Niska like slowly realizing her revenge for revenge sake kind of plan isn't the greatest. And it also makes her think about the the visit she got about the sleeping from this, you know, supposedly from the sleeping synth or whatever, about how she's supposed to be looking for something a little bit greater. So I'm interested to see what that's going to reveal later. The, the, the nice thing of having a very short season, because this, this particular series is only eight episodes, is that you're going to find out pretty fast. The bad news is that you're going to find out pretty fast. So I'm interested. I'm still interested to see well, what Niska is going to shake out and who else is coming back. That'll be, I'm, I'm interested. I wouldn't be surprised if their eldest brother comes back. There, there's another synth related to that family uh, who got killed off in like the first season or definitely got taken away in that first season. So we, uh, we don't know if he's dead, dead or, or what, but he hasn't come back since. So I'm hoping we're, I'm hoping he's the sleeping synth. I'm going to put that out into the universe. I'm hoping he's the sleeping synth that they're talking about who's trying to help make these changes, but who knows? We'll see. So we'll see how that works. Uh, we've also got Laura girl, Laura, the poor human that she is, is really trying to figure out how to navigate these political waters uh, in regards to synths and humans and civil rights and what that means and all of that. Like her experiences, and mind you, when Laura first started the first season, she was hardcore against any kind of sentient synth, anything. It was it was too crazy for her to really grasp, but she's grown so much since then. And now she's like fighting for civil rights for these synths. Uh, but she knows she has an uphill battle. So she manages to convince the board to come down and visit a synth complex run run by Max to see how that's working, to see if, if there's any potential there for a human synth collaboration of any kind. And it seems she's successful. So the visit goes off without a hitch. We find out there were some hitches, but on the surface, looks like it's without a hitch. They learn more. They, they see what these synths are about. There's a whole scene between... Uh, one of Max's fellow synths and Neil. Neil is like this guy who's trying to play it logical because he suffered major loss. And he's kind of, he's bitter. He's a bitter old man. And you see him talking to the synth and he's he's very sarcastic about it because they, they show them a section where they're studying faces. They're studying human faces so that they, A, know how to react themselves because uh, they realize a lot of communication between people uh, is done on a visual spectrum. So a lot of it is, you know, little intonements from facial features or hand movements or whatever. So to test it, Neil is like, all right, well, what am I doing right now? And he gives them like a sarcastic smile and the synth nails it on the head. He's like on, you know, outwardly, it looks like you're trying to show me you're happy, but your eyes show like, you know, a lot more sadness in there. And it, it, it ruins Neil's little joke and it's hilarious. But it also results in like a very bizarre interaction between him and Laura. So after everything goes down and the visit goes off without a hitch, Laura hits up Neil and is like, so we should celebrate with a drink. This was successful. And Neil is like, I'm not celebrating anything. And I don't want to go for a drink. And she's like, okay. And then he flips it around and is like, you should just come to my place and I'll cook something. But like it's said in that same kind of intonement of just like, matter of fact and she's like okay so that results in them having their dates she goes to his place it's a little awkward he's a terrible cook 
they have they have their their moments of like trying to get together it moves on to a physical intimacy they have sex and right after they have sex he gets cold like she tries to like have a conversation with him and he's just like you should go home there's no reason for you to still be here you should leave i've called you a cab and she's like okay and cries and leaves like you just and i i really hope this means laura learns to not mix the two she's lonely we know that she's lonely her husband and her are separated they have it's been in the making that they had moved on from each other like back in the first season so uh, but we see that she's she's trying to reach out and we she thought neil might be somebody she could do that with but it is clearly evident he is not. So hopefully she learns something. And But it also seems like after everything she's done, especially with the visit and everything, it's not really changing the minds of the board. We're also learning that. So she's like, damn it. Uh, we also get <laughs> Max. So like, like I said, the visit between Max and that board had their hiccups, but we didn't. The board doesn't realize they're having hiccups. Agnes crazy ass is trying to kill everybody we finally get the backstory behind agnes agnes seemed to be a very creepy clown robot puppet uh run by a very creepy geppetto and i'm gonna call that guy geppetto he was a really creepy guy gave you a lot of pervy vibes he kept her locked in a box when she wasn't out you know being a really creepy pinocchio and um of course we see what happens when she becomes sentient she realizes she's in darkness and she can't see and she starts to panic like i can't see and she calls out to the creepy geppetto and instead of him i don't know opening the damn box he just like grabs his jacket and rolls the fuck out like uh, he's been watching the news and the news shows that like robots are becoming sentient and they're just like leaving duties and and then on top of that his robot is now talking to him apparently it's too much he rolls the fuck out. She tells us she's, she was trapped in that box for like days, for like days on end before she finally managed to get out. And it's, it's definitely left a mark on her. Um, but also at the same time, now that she's found her people, people she belongs with, they're being killed off left and right without discrimination. And she doesn't feel like Max is doing anything to combat that at all. And to be fair, he's not. So... Uh, we see her dealing with all of that and the fact that she came across those synth bodies when she was thinking of running away from the complex last episode. The synths he turned away, who were supposed to come and stay at the complex, uh, he told them they did not have enough anything to have them come down. Energy rations, the spikes apparently, and tells them to go to a further place. He gave them a battery pack. It was a faulty battery pack. It shorted, killed them all. She came across the bodies. And so she brings that up. Her and Max have a head-to-head. -head. She tries to kill somebody from the board. <laughs> oh, girl. She tries to kill somebody from the board. And Max managed... Oh, not Max. His his uh, bestie. His friend. Who I mean, this this guy who used to be a sex bot. I need to figure out his name. Uh, I don't know what his name is. But I kind of feel like this guy is kind of feeling Max. Uh, but I also feel like he's got another agenda. It's real creepy. And like, he talks about how you can manipulate people really easy. But um, he manages to catch Agnes before she can stab somebody and takes her out of the situation. It's very calm. Again, it's very, it's very weird how smoothly it rolls out because they're robots. 
So they're not going to have outbursts like a human would. But it's just like you see her without qualm trying to stab somebody, her arm getting caught before she can make contact by the other robot, him swiftly disarming her and taking her out of there. And it's just like a full smooth movement. No outbursts. It's really creepy. And then afterwards, we get the Max Agnes showdown. So Max is like, the fuck? I told you not to do anything. What, are you trying to get us all killed? What are you doing? And Agnes basically telling him, look, if we all died, it was for a greater sacrifice so that these synths now have a reason to rise up. Like, we'll be part of the mission. And he's just like, no, (laughs) no, girl, stop it. And then she starts going in. She starts using human tactics and being petty and manipulative. And she brings up the death of his girlfriend and how he's the one at fault and how they had an opportunity to make some sort of change or action. And he didn't take it. And he locks her in one of the things. So they're in a warehouse. It looks like some kind of storage container. And it rounds it right back to how she got started. So this girl does not like being locked up in in a space that she can't see anything it makes me wonder though is max going to take agnes out for good she's not going to stop she's not going to stop trying to usurp him or like just take over everything she's not going to stop trying to kill these people like she's not we know she's not but is max going to take the action to completely make sure she's not going to be a threat anymore or leave her as like a an unfinished thread and just hope it doesn't come back to him who knows but we kind of left it like that at the end uh we have leo and maddie uh they're my least favorite storyline i don't care right now i mean we had leo and maddie come together maddie has been feeling for leo from leo since season one and she finally got him and she finally got to get down with him And then she found out some poor other kid is being blamed for sending out the sentient virus that woke up all those synths. And she has a complete meltdown. She's just like, I can't let him go down for what I did. And I need to turn myself into the police and not really thinking things through, like at all. And Leo has to be the one to point out like, yeah, okay, so you could do that and it will ruin everybody else's life. Like all of your family members will now be reduced to nothing. Like it's going to wreck everything. Calm it down. Uh, but they figure out like another way to get around it. They released something to show that it couldn't be the kid that they've got in custody. It's got to be somebody else. But of course, it brings those investigators a hell of a lot closer to Maddie. But, you know, whatever. They're like, we will deal with that when we get to it. End of that arc. So and then that's kind of where we left everything i'm ex- i'm excited to see what's happening in the next episode is niska finally gonna join the group of the sleeping synth uh is mia gonna be able to keep that apartment or are people gonna kill her in her sleep like this getting real aggressive oh over there and the biggest arc was the karen and okay what is his name i have the cast i'm ready this time let's joe so karen and joe joe is the ex soon to be ex-husband of laura He's been living in like uh, a town that has no sense whatsoever. There's supposed to be the human town where they went back to simpler times, you know, when just racism existed. None of this, uh, you know, also hatred towards robots. And um, of course, he knows that Karen and her son are robots. So, Sam. So, he's dealing with that secret, but also kind of having fun with this secret. So, he's missing his family. He's missing being able to have them around him. And with Karen and Sam, he's got that like built in. 
So uh, you see Joe trying to reach out to his son, but of course everybody's busy. You know, his son has to do some stuff for school. Uh, his younger daughter is in all kinds of clubs after school. So she's doing that stuff and they're, they're not available to go hang out with him uh, for mini golf. So he turns to Karen and Sam and he's like, we should all go out. You know, it'll help Sam act more like a kid, be more integrated into society. It'll get you out and everybody will be happy. Everybody have a good time. They have a great time doing mini golf. It's super cute. You see Karen and Joe get like a little bit closer. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe some romance. Definitely some caring is happening. And then the shit hits a fan. So after all of that, Karen and Sam are headed home. Sam trips on something, cuts his hand. He's a synth. He's not bleeding red blood. It's blue, whatever that stuff is. Uh, and it gets seen. And to avoid them coming after Sam, Karen takes it upon herself to be uh, the bait. There you go, that's the word. She decides to be the bait instead. So you see her look Sam in the eye and she tells him, I got you. And then she scratches her own hand and rips it open so that the blue stuff is coming out of her hand. And she announces to the crowd that it's her. And then she tells Sam to run. Sam books it, but not before we see Karen get taken down by this angry mob of people and kicked brutally. Sam makes it back to Joe's place, tells him what's going on. Joe races back to the scene, tells Sam to stay in the car, but he finds, so Sam stays in the car, but Joe finds out that Karen, Karen is dead. Karen got killed. So she got beat down when we can't see her body, that her limbs are like not in the, the appropriate way they're supposed to be. You see a giant pool of blue synth blood around her and Joe breaks down. Joe starts to cry and it's just like, monsters, you monsters. So it'll be interesting. I don't, so, okay, so also they're synth. So I don't know if this means that she is down for the count permanently or if she is down for the count until he can get her fixed. Like, how, like if he can figure out a way to get her out of the square and then get her to somebody who can fix her, will this work? Now he's also got Sam. He's also got Sam to look after who he can't keep in that town. He can't keep this child in the town without a gazillion questions coming at him. So what's the next move for Sam? And yeah, who knows? And we're only in episode four. So I love these series, especially from the from BBC or from the UK. They're short, but there's so much story packed in like this hour of television we get. So who knows? Who knows? So I'm going to be moving on into the next show, which is going to be ugh, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, right after this. Hey there, listeners. So this is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a moment to let you guys know about that other group I'm constantly talking about and working with, and that is Fan Bros. For all nerds, Fan Bros itself, check out fanbros.com. I actually am a contributor for that website. I post up fandom fashions every now and again, but you should also check out everything else that they've got going on there. They've got wonderful articles covering all things geek, and of course they have their own podcasts and other sister podcasts underneath them that also cover all things geek. They do talk about it from an urban perspective, which to me just enriches the experience overall. So if you guys get the chance, definitely check them out. All right, so we're gonna get into Cloak and Dagger, <sighs> the show that I have mixed feelings about. Okay, so like I said, I am not familiar with Cloak and Dagger uh, through their comic series at all. I don't know what they are at all. Uh, my first 
meeting with Cloak and Dagger was through a Marvel animated film. I couldn't even tell you what that film was right now because I don't remember. That's how important it is. Um, but they've always kind of been like these side characters. I know overall Cloak can transport or teleport. And I know overall uh, Dagger creates literal daggers of light. So that's it. That's all I really know. That and, uh, you know, it's very you know complicated and not PC history. So all of that into the show. We're into episode five now of the show. The first four episodes were slow as hell. I know some people loved it. Some people really liked that they captured the essence of these characters and that they're exploring it the way that they are. I didn't care about these first four episodes. I felt like we could have summed this up in the first episode. The first four episodes really to me felt like us painting a picture of what these kids are like right now, still trying to figure out their powers. I could have done this in one episode. I could have I could have handled all of that in one episode. I didn't need this ridiculous drag out. Not only that, now I'm confused. So their powers have been a lot of the conversation around the show. Uh, and like I said, I know one can teleport and I know one can make daggers like that. It's in the names. Uh, but apparently they also have the ability to see people's hopes and fears. We find out in this episode. So apparently um, Tammy, Tandy, can see people's hopes and Tyrone can see people's fears. This wasn't made clear in any of the previous episodes. We had a whole episode where Tandy saw Tyrone deal with the death of his brother. And not only that, him trying to kill himself, like constantly through police brutality. So I don't know how that's a hope, but whatever. Sure show, why not? So this newest episode, was a, it picked up a little bit more for me. So we got, probably because we had a little bit more action happening. We got Tandy now realizing how to work her abilities. So after the merciless murder of the lawyer friend from last episode, we see Tandy trying to put things into action. She is finding out more about the uh, Roxham Corporation that uh, potentially led to the death of her father. They did, they completely did, but she's still trying to prove it. And uh, we see her decide to use these powers of hers for a purpose. Uh, she, I liked her showing the hell up at Tyrone's school for no reason to tell him, other than to tell him that she figured out how to use her powers. Hysterical. They're in a mad public space. And she's like, yeah, man, I can make daggers with my hands. Of course, he wasn't going to react the way she thought he was. Uh, but also she was there to steal like uniforms so that she can go undercover and try to get stuff. Um, and then we see her put her plan into action to find out what's going on with the Roxon Corporation. Uh, she does her research. She finds out inevitably one of them is a perv, makes her way to a party to tempt said perv, realizes like when she touches them, she can see into their hopes and potentially gain some information. Their hopes are twisted as hell between murdering people and trying to have sex with bosses. A lot of things were happening at one time. Um, but she didn't really get any answers. So I didn't understand the point of all of that. We also got Tyrone dealing with his like basketball game um, and him seeing the fear of everybody. I thought it was really poignant that when he would brush against these uh, other kids, these other black kids from the, from the uh, not enemy school, but you know, the competition, the other, the other school. Uh, he was seeing what, they're, what they have to deal with, what their ultimate fears is. And a lot of them just have like a really shitty home life between violence in the streets or parents coming at them, like physically harming them, stuff, shit like that. 
and he sees how important it is for them to to win this game to get at least one win in the, in the shittiness that is their life um so he decides to you know help them with that basically and he kind of he feels good about it afterwards but of course uh he got hit the shit beat out of him because his teammates felt he wasn't doing his job so lord knows what's gonna happen in the next episode but whatever tyrone he also had a very confusing conversation with the girl uh that may like him may not like him there's there's one other black girl at this school and she likes tyrone and that it came on pretty heavy in the first two episodes that she really liked him by the time we got to the third episode she was like whatever i'm chill like okay okay but she was still helping him and she was still close to him this recent episode she pretends like she don't know who he is and he's like okay all right and then all of a sudden she's like nah that's okay we together and i think sleeps with him or had a make-out make out session, something happened. Uh, she shows the hell up in his room. Uh, but I'm just lost and confused because um, what is happening? What's happening? Do you like him? Do you not like him? What's happening? I don't Also, why is she here? We all know Tyrone and Tandy are the ones that are gonna get together. So why is she here? Why did we need to introduce that? I have a thousand questions. So whatever, so that happened. The thing that I liked about the show was that we got to finally see them in action. So between her, between Tandy using her powers to find out what's going on with these guys' heads and being able to command a dagger at will, we also get Tyrone realizing that a lot of his powers are a result of a fear reaction. So when he gets super, super scared, that's when he's able to, to transport. And they put it to the test with Tandy pushing him over the edge of a balcony. Not the greatest plan, but a successful one. So, you know, there you go. Ridiculousness. She's constantly trying to get this dude killed. Like, I don't, is that the story? Anyway, whatever. And they still can't touch also on top of that. They still can't touch each other. So I'm interested, I'm, I am interested to see how this is gonna progress into a story about how they need each other and how they feed each other. Or are we not doing that in this show? Are we not going to make it a situation where Tandy has to, you know, get rid of these dagger lights that she keeps having before she overwhelms herself? Or that Tyrone has to be fed this light in order to be sustained and not, you know, for some reason become a vacuum of just eating beings or something? Are we ever going to see a vo- the void that he's able to control? Like, Lord knows, this thing is taking forever to get to the point. It also doesn't have a lot of episodes. We're about to hit episode six of episode of maybe eight or 10 episodes. It's not super long. Where are we going with the show? What are we doing? Where are we going? So, I mean, they left the episode with a little bit of a reveal. We find out there's a new scientist heading up the Roxxon Court. Uh, Roxxon Corporation. Uh, there's been a running commercial for Roxxon in, in the show where they're like, we're trying to make the world better. And apparently uh, this girl is taking over the work that her father had been doing before her own father had died. So not Tandy's dad, but whoever this woman's father was who was also doing the science for Roxxon. I completely forgettable because I don't care. But I mean, is this going to lead us into more fighting? I would like at some point for action to take place because... Why show? Why? Why are we doing all of this if we're just exploring emotions? Is that what Cloak and Dagger does? Do they not actually fight, maybe? Maybe all they do is explore emotions and not actually fight or, you know, crime fight anything. I don't know. 
If you guys are familiar with Cloak and Dagger, please help me out because I don't understand why we need all of this slow buildup, what the point of that is. So get back to me on that. So, I mean, we're gonna keep it nice and short because that, I don't care. I don't care what's happening. <laughs> this, this, I want to like this show. I want to like it. I watch it week after week, hoping that this is going to be the episode that makes me like it. And it hasn't happened. So I'm gonna give it this first season. If it doesn't do anything, I'm gonna treat this just like I did Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just fade out. So there's that. All right, so I'm gonna be talking about My Hero Academia right after this. Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, so I'm jumping into My Hero Academia, which is the show that is stealing my heart. I recently did a full fandom fashion for it, um, for fan bros. I don't know if it got posted yet, but I did one. I did one where I showed my appreciation for the ridiculousness that is My Hero Academia. This show, it, I, I just love it so much. I love it because it's talking about kids with superpowers. That's always a pull for me. We're talking about kids with superpowers, but I love the world it's set up in. Like these kids are literally learning from other people with superpowers, what to do. And that, for me, that's an interesting twist. Cause I mean, we had X-Men and of course, Xavier School for the Gifted kind of entwined there with them learning and training. But I feel like this is a fresher take cause there's a purpose behind it. They're trying to get careers in this. So it's legalized, it's accepted in society as a thing. They still show all the qualms with society that happens when you're taking on a role like that. But it, it's set up like, like a like a job, like a career. And maybe because it has that setup and like a real world grounding to it, I'm just like, this show is amazing. This show is so interesting. That and the, the, the diversity they do in their characters. So the personalities of these characters run the gambit. And I know a lot of people don't like Bakugo. He's an asshole. He's a straight <laughs> asshole. He's arrogant as hell. But I love that they're... For at least for me, there's a logical reason I can follow as to why he's like that. Like, it's not because he came up from a terrible family. It's not because, you know, he felt he had a point to prove to people outside at all. It's all for him. It's all for him. Like he, his mom said it best. She, like when they had, uh, was it his recent episode? I think it's his recent episode. Or no, last week's episode. Because, yeah, I'm going to get into that too. Because I had, I had problems. So last week's episode, apparently... He uh, was talking about, or they were talking about how they're going to do the dorms for UA to kind of get more control of the kids, but also kind of shake out the mole that may or may not be at UA. At, well, definitely may, because they're getting a lot of information that they should not be getting. The villains, so that. But there's a whole point where uh, Eraser and All Might go and visit uh, Kashan's family, and his mom who he's just like, apparently, put it very succinctly. Like, he's like this because he got really lucky with a quirk 
He's constantly been praised for everything that he does. He's also, I mean, he's naturally gifted in his quirk, but he's also actually really smart. He's a, he's a kid who manages to pick up things really, really fast. And because of all of that, he's just, he's built this like inflated esteem of himself. And then we also see the come down of that. Like you see Bakugo putting together the connection between All Might and Deku and him kind of dealing with that. So also for me, this is definitely coming from the latest manga that dropped. So there's been a new volume that dropped for My Hero Academia that also goes into more about why Kashan is the way he is. And he definitely, it definitely relates to Deku. It definitely relates to All Might. All of that gets tied into it and we see why he reacts the way he does, which is hysterical. I also love that they do this generational thing because we've got Todoroki's father who for all intents and purposes is just like Bakugo. We've got, we both got people who have an insanely powerful quirk uh, that is kind of related to fire and heat because Bakugo does explosions and Todoroki's dad is straight fire. Um, but they're also like the, the personalities match the quirk. So they're both people who are hotheads. They have tempers and they don't necessarily make the best decisions. Todoroki's dad is a monster. So, I mean, he literally went out of his way to try and create a person who would be able to inhabit two really strong quirks at the same time. Like he sought out a woman who would have the antithesis of his quirk just so he could create a kid who would have the quirks that he wants them to have. Like he went and had a lot of kids in search of trying to do this. That's monster-ish, that's monster status stuff. But I mean, same, same quick temper, same need to be the first. And I'm sure same person who got lucky with a quirk. And then you got Bakugo who's, he doesn't have people skills like whatsoever. <laughs> and, and he's still a mess as well. So I'm interested to see like the generational thing that they're doing with this as well. And of course, All Might and Deku, their correlation that's there too. And those seem to be like the four they're talking about. Even though you think Todoroki would be like the next one. It's for sure Kashan. It's for sure Kashan. So that. Um, and I'm mad at how I got to this episode. So I thought there was no new episode last week. So I was like, oh, okay. So I'm going to be going into my recaps with no My Hero Academia information. Turns out uh, this the streaming service I use to watch it, which is Funimation, just didn't put out an episode. Just didn't. I'm sure if I follow them on their socials, they explain what's going on. Uh, but I don't care. So this definitely gets into the dub sub situation. I can watch a sub, but I prefer dubs. And I know for some people, they have already muted me and have taken out. But uh, so that's how I've been watching My Hero Academia through the dubs. But I found out Crunchyroll, uh, which they've always been consistent. They literally air the episode right after it airs in Japan. And because there's no dubbing, they can do it immediately. There's no turnover time. So apparently, Crunchyroll has been on it this whole time and actually has two episodes out, which is new to me, but it's probably not new to anybody else. So they had the new episode that dropped last Saturday. And of course they have the episode that dropped this Saturday. And I'm just like, really Funimation? Really Funimation? I'm really trying here. I'm really trying. This is not the first time you've let me down in thinking that there was an episode and there was an episode for the same goddamn show. And I understand you have to record. You've got to translate probably and do a bunch of other technical things, but you've been able to do them pre previously. And now all of a sudden 
you can't. So I'm stuck. I have a husband who's really into anime too, and he prefers the dubs over the subs. So that's why Funimation has been kept. But clearly I need to just watch the show on Crunchyroll because consistency. So that's my little rant. Back to the show. So we also have in the last episode, uh, like the fallout of everything that's going on um, with what's happening with All Might and everybody else. All Might's effectively retired. We see Deku and his mom getting talked to uh, in regards of the dorms. And of course, his mom at, Deku's mom at first is like, no, no. And I don't blame this poor woman. This poor woman has been put through it. She didn't think her son had a quirk. She felt mad guilty for a long time that her son, who idolizes All Might of all people, is not going to be able to live his dream of being able to help others. Like... That's, that's, that is gut-wrenching and destroying. And then all of a sudden out the blue, he got a quirk. Not only does he got a quirk, he got into UA, which is the best school for the, for the world we're living in, or not living in, but the world that this show is set up in is the best school in Japan. And she's like, her, she's constantly just been like blown away with like surprise after surprise. And then the attacks happen and she sees her son in constant harm's, harm's way all the time. He's coming home and like casts, and full of bandages. And she's just like, oh my gosh, I cannot. And then this latest attack, it didn't happen on school grounds, but I mean, it might as well have because they kidnapped a UA student. And she's just like, I cannot, I cannot do all of this. He's got to go somewhere else. I, no, 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 I didn't blame her. But of course she comes around. Deku basically says, if I'm not going to UA, I'm going somewhere else. I'm becoming a hero. It doesn't matter. And then you've got All Might who's like, I apologize you know, that we have continuously, you know, basically allowed these kids to get put in harm's way, like every time. But I will do my best to make sure that doesn't happen again. And not only that, he definitely has me to watch him while he's doing all of that. And she she slowly comes around because she's kind of like, okay, great. He's got this teacher who's willing to do anything for him. They definitely have a connection. It's really not gonna get any better if I put him anywhere else. So why not the best school with the best teacher he could possibly have? Bam, and he decided to go along with it. I would have loved to see the other kids too. We got Jiro a little bit. Is it Jiro? You know what? I just said that name. I don't even know if that's our actual name. But there, so there's a girl in the show whose quirk deals with like these earbuds she has that drop from her literal ears and she can plug, she can use sonic like waves and stuff to shake stuff. She's pretty awesome. And um, we see her family, but it was more of like a, com- a comedic setup of like, just kidding. Like we, we wanted to act hard, but really we're really impressed with everybody. We're totally down with them getting dorm. So that's cool. That's fine. Um, and then, and that, yeah, and that's kind of it. Like, so they, apparently they managed to get all the teachers to agree to, or not all the teachers, to get the teachers to get the families of the students to agree that they, they can all come on down and get in these dorms. I'm excited to have the dorm life of these kids because that's going to be hilarious hysterical on all fronts when you get them all in the same room but also i'm interested to see like the friendships that come out of it oh it is jiro uh-huh i'm right so um in my head shoji and tokiyami are best friends so i'm really hoping that we're going to see that happen in the show um i'm also in my head i'm seeing shoji and hagakure toru hagakure as a couple because if anybody was going to get her because she's the invisible girl it's going to be shoji who has to use all of his other senses in order to save people. So 
He'd be the one who'd be aware of where she was at all times. I'm going to put that out there. So usually anime does not go that deep into things. But whatever. I'm going to do that. But yeah, so it's been, it was a super cute episode. I haven't seen the latest one that dropped on Saturday. I have read the manga. So I know they get the dorms and I know they have their little contest over who's got the best room in the dorms. So I'm interested to see how the animation does that. In my view, Tokiyami stole the show. His, his was like goth as hell, but I loved it. But I also loved that um, somebody had a bunny. So what's his name? Coda. Uh, Coda had a bunny in his room. It was so cute. I love that. And I also love that Sato wins like the all, the overall contest because he baked cake. Because yes, cake. yes, Sato, that's how you win people. Food. So excited. I, I just really like the show. It's super fun to watch. It's real quick. It's action packed. So I'm never bored and they're usually fighting somebody. <laughs> so that's cool. I am interested to know whether or not the season is going through all of the arcs. So the arc after this is when they go for their hero's licenses. I'm hoping we're gonna see that because there's a character in there that I absolutely love. He's got a wind quirk and he is hysterical. He's also just like, like he's ridiculously strong, but he's also like ridiculously honest. Like there's an integrity to him and he has it out with Todoroki. Like they have a whole thing that they got to deal with, but he's he just he's just really funny in the manga and I really hope they continue with that. I hope we get to see him some more. So I hope we get to go down that path and get to see that arc too before the season ends. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So that's going to wrap it up. That's really all that happened this week in geek news. I mean, there was some other geek stuff that dropped. There's going to be a Morbius movie with Jared Leto for Sony because why? It's going to be Twilight. Let's, let's, not, let's not mince details. We all know they were like, ooh, this is a way for us to bring them in. What is else going to get people in seats and, and buy things? Vampires cool and it's we know they're going to go down and navigate like this whole dracula-esque type story of like forbidden love and moral ambiguity that's that's what's going to happen so i don't why and it, i mean Jerlo is a talented actor he is he's a talented actor however he is method as fuck like the suicide squad stories were horrendous and he's problematic as well. He doesn't say a lot of smart things when he gets interviewed for stuff. So those feelings. Um, but yeah, so that's what's gonna ha- what's going on. I'm thinking of getting into Pose. I still haven't watched the series Pose. I keep hearing great, wonderful things about it. Um, especially it's casting. Uh, everybody's loving the casting and the fact that uh, the cast has a large transgendered uh, cast is amazing and I want to support. So I'm probably gonna check out Pose. Um, but yeah, that's it, that's it for right now. I mean, there's another BBC show coming out where it's another kind of like Cloak and Dagger-esque type deal where you're dealing with teens and a very Romeo and Juliet situation. I think they're werewolves. They have some sort of supernatural ability. So that's happening too. There's a Netflix series though that's out that's called Kiss Me First. I don't know what's happening in it. I don't know if I'm gonna recap it. But it looks interesting. So they, it's about, it seems to be about these kids who get into a, like a virtual world of sorts. Think Sims or maybe even like, I don't know, the, the Scrolls series. Um, what is it called? I forget. But it's a gaming RPG. So they get into this like gaming RPG simulation situation. Uh, and apparently it gets dark. People start like trying to get killed. But it looks, the anime, the graphic animation looks 
terrible. But maybe the story is good. So I'm debating whether or not to watch that. But um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. And then we've got uh, Ant-Man, the Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out next Friday. So definitely we'll be catching that and recapping it and seeing how that works out. That's going to be it. It's going to wrap things up. So as I said, I am Joe, a.k.a. the Kirby Geeky Fangirl. And you can find all of this anywhere you listen to the podcasts per usual. Or you can hit me up at my website, KirbyGeekyFangirl.com or through my email, KirbyGeekyFangirl at gmail.com. Uh, I'm usually posting on fanbros.com if you want to see any of the stuff I actually do for fandom fashions. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter, usually commenting or retweeting somebody. <laughs> usually, or putting a thought out there. I'm trying to get back into making more outfits so I can post them to Instagram. It's just a struggle. There's a lot of heat right now. It's just hot. And also, I get tired. Like, there's a lot of things I got to do adulting-wise. It's just a complaining session, but... It's going to happen one day. I'm going to get together. I'm going to get together. I'm going to get organized and get this out. So that's it. That's it for right now. I hope you guys have a great week. Fourth of July is coming up. If you're in the States, happy Fourth of July. If you're not in the States, happy Wednesday. Bye.